0: This summer, the Paralympic Games showcase the best talent in adaptive sports. But despite the hard work and dedication these athletes put in every day, they are still not given the same attention and coverage as the mainstream Olympics. Listen to today's guest to learn about her journey to the Paralympic Games, what it takes to be a Paralympic athlete, and what steps can be taken to give Paralympic sports the attention they deserve.
1: Hi everyone welcome to this episode of bench this is your host jules makia with our wonderful guest emma sheik emma thank you so much for joining us i'm super stoked to have you on for those of you who don't know emma just returned from the paralympics where she won a gold medal and emma is also a student here at unc so i'm super excited to hear all about emma's journey and everything she has to share today so thank you for coming on emma
2: yeah i'm super excited about this
1: Yeah, so why don't I just kick it off with a pretty general question. And I just wanted to know, you've told me a bit about how you got into sitting volleyball. But for everyone listening, can you talk about your transition from volleyball to sitting volleyball and that whole story there? Yeah,
2: so I've been playing standing volleyball since I was seven years old, which is pretty young, but I fell in love with the game at a pretty young age. And then I was playing for Precision Athletics Volleyball Club, which is a club in Mooresville, North Carolina. We were down in Big South, which is a national qualifier in Atlanta, Georgia, and we've been playing a game towards the end of the tournament and we lost and I was really frustrated, so I wasn't really you know, looking to make any friends or talk to anybody, but uh, this referee approached me and asked me about my arm. You know, he he said, "Do you have a disability, or is this just like your technique? Like, what's going on here?" And I explained to him that it was a brachial plexus injury, and I had a disability, but. I was kind of like brushing him off because I really didn't want to talk to him. And he started showing me all these pictures of sitting volleyball, asking like if I knew anything about it. I was still kind of like, no, I'm okay. Thank you. And then he asked me if I was interested and to talk to my parents. So I I brought him over to my mom who was there with me and Next thing I know, I'm in Virginia at this like informal tryout kind of thing with a few of the developmental program players. We call it the A2 program because so Elliot, the referee that I met, is the coordinator for A2 for USA Volleyball. And athletes will enter the A2 program and spend anywhere from months to years in the program hoping to one day be called up to the national team. And after my first experience in uh, Virginia with this program, I kind of felt really neutral about the whole thing, but that was kind of just to figure out whether I liked the sport, whether I thought I had a future in it, and whether they thought I had potential. And they felt like I did, so they asked me to come to Oklahoma, which is where we trained. But at the time, you know, I was only 15 years old, right? I was kind of like still a kid. So my mom came with me, her, myself, my brother, and two friends, uh, we drove to Oklahoma. Uh, and it took us, you know, 21 hours to get there so that I could play volleyball for just two days and I hated it too. kind of a cherry on top. I was miserable the entire weekend. I have never cried so much over volleyball. I didn't want to be there. And a lot of that was because I had spent at that point 10 years playing standing volleyball and like working really hard, you know, to finally like become confident and comfortable on the court. But when I first transitioned to sitting volleyball, the game was so different and my arm didn't reach the floor because of my disability, I couldn't move. And when I couldn't move, I couldn't pass or set and my hitting timing was off. And everything just felt like it was falling apart so i kind of felt like it wasn't for me and i didn't want to continue but with some encouragement you know from friends and family and some of the pretty cool people that i had met i decided i'd give another shot because maybe it was just really hard at first and it would get better and it did i went to california for like a special event with them uh, that August. So August of 2017, I liked it a little bit better. And then I got home from that camp and I had an email from Bill Hammeter, who's now my head coach, head coach for the women's national team, asking me to come to a national team training camp. And from there, the rest is kind of history. I fell in love with the game then. It definitely took me a minute, but the team was, they were so welcoming and so helpful. And I loved how fast the, the game was and playing at such an elite level was amazing.
1: So looking back and kind of reflecting on how you went from hating it, the one weekend where you're just miserable, to now being a national team member and winning a gold medal, what are your feelings around your history with it and kind of how you pushed through it and then ended up loving something and gave something new a shot that you didn't know would work out so well?
2: Yeah. So for me, volleyball has not always been easy. And I think that's a big part of why I was so miserable that weekend, why I took it so personally when things were so difficult in seventh grade and in ninth grade. Uh, so my first year of middle school, my first year of high school, I'd actually been cut from the volleyball team. And it took a lot of work to come back and make those teams the next year. And it took a lot of work to be able to play on those club teams. And so because I was, and I have no problem admitting it, nowhere near nationally talented. Like I didn't have much if any uh, natural athletic ability it was a lot of extra hard work for me to be able to keep up with some of the girls so when I felt like I was having all that hard work just be taken away when I transitioned to sitting volleyball like I was going to be back at square one it was also like really scary but where I am now four years later uh, a gold medalist and a national team athlete it's I mean absolutely i'm so confident that it was worth it and i'm really happy you know that i stuck with it and if anything it just reaffirms that you should never shy away from a challenge just because it's a challenge and if you really love it or think it's something you could love you should absolutely go for it
1: yeah so next let's move in to tokyo and everything there because i know you know i follow you on social and i was watching kind of what was happening and i know you guys had a rough entry just trying to get into japan so Before we even get there, can you give me a little bit of background about the process on making the team and then kind of everything that went into that, especially, you know, with the pandemic and all that sort of stuff?
2: yeah so i officially became a national team athlete in january 2017 and for a lot of people they think that once you're a national team athlete that means you know you go to the games like that's just the next step but really there's 17 athletes on our team and only 12 make each roster so making the team isn't a guarantee of anything it's just like the beginning of the journey really so when i had originally been pulled up i was pulled up with four other girl or three other girls there was four of us in total and our coach had always told us you know like Don't count yourself out for Tokyo, but we're pulling you up for Paris. So for me, Tokyo was a far off dream. And my focus was more shifted on the long term goal of Paris. But that definitely, you know, didn't turn me away from my wanting to work hard and wanting to be there once I realized it was absolutely a possibility. So and then, you know, COVID hit in early 2020, and the games were delayed a year. And for me, that was when I realized, you know, I could totally do this. I've got an extra year to work hard and to make that roster. And so that's what I did. I spent a big part of COVID, you know, lifting extra weights, watching extra film, just a little bit of everything so I could become the best athlete I could be with that extra time that i've been given with covid and then uh, this past july i found out i i was making the tokyo roster and it was an incredible feeling because it was once so far out of the question and then with everything that had happened over the last four years it was happening and i was gonna get to go so for me what that meant was okay like i I told my coach uh, i said when he told me oh my gosh like bill this is like the best news ever and he said whoa I don't know about ever. And he's, he's a very stoic and calm person. So I was, and it turned out, I mean, he was right. Obviously, it was much better news to find out we would, we'd won gold and we were actually able to get to Tokyo with a group of 12, given everything that had been going on. But then, so I got on the next plane to go to Oklahoma the day after I found out uh, I'd made the roster so I could spend the next month living and training with my team full time and kind of really focusing in and getting ready in that Tokyo mindset. Yeah, so I came home and then you kind of mentioned, you know, we had some COVID issues too. Even though I found out I made the roster, there was still a lot of question around whether or not us as a team, we were going to be able to get there. In order to get into Japan, you had to take a 96 and a 72-hour COVID test. Otherwise, you know, the country isn't going to let you in if You have COVID, obviously, and at the 96-hour test, you know, I at this point, my uh, my boyfriend and I had been quarantined in my apartment in Chapel Hill for about a week, and he had quarantined for a week before I came home, just so that we were able to do that because I didn't want to take any risk going into Tokyo. And I took my 96-hour test, and I was super stressed, but I was negative, and I was so excited. And then him and I went to Jordan Lake the next day, you know, finally to get out of the house and stay away from people. And we were at the lake when I got an email from my coach that we had an emergency meeting and we need to get on a call in 30 minutes. So we pulled off into this parking lot because we weren't even going to make it back to my apartment. And we get on the call and my coach tells us that they'd canceled our week-long acclimation. We were supposed to be in Ichinomiya, you know, training together, getting used to the time zone. And that that was because one of my teammates and one of our staff members had tested positive for COVID. And because one of that, that teammate was at our training site, eight of my teammates were close contacts. And so immediately, you know, right off the bat, that's terrifying. That's not at all the news you want to hear going into the Paralympics. So we are all a little a little panicked and having to remind ourselves like it's gonna be okay. The chief of sport for USA Volleyball, Peter Vint was really reassuring, our coaches were reassuring that no matter what it was gonna take, they were gonna find a way to get a group of us there to compete and defend our gold. We were not really sure what that would look like, but lucky for us, we were gonna be in Ichinomiya long enough that the athletes who were close contact were going to be able to complete a 14-day quarantine and then get to ich- get to Tokyo before our first game. So the timing worked out really well, but that also meant that they were just going to be thrown into Japan and really have no time to adjust before having to get on the court, which is also incredibly challenging. Our last athlete, Bethany Zumaro Libero, actually got to Japan about 15, 16 hours before our first match. So yeah, she was really pushing it with that one. But myself and three of my teammates were not close contacts because we had been home for a while, you know, getting ready for the games. And we were able to fly out to Japan about a week before everybody else. So on August 20th after staying in quarantine for what ended up being two weeks because of the delay myself and some of my teammates flew out to Japan and began our uh, Paralympic journey but our second day in Japan you know we were getting fitted for opening and closing ceremonies outfits uh, with Ralph Lauren and got a group me notification that another teammate had tested positive. Just when things seemed like we were gonna be okay, they got worse again. And it actually, through one of my good friends, Jillian Coffey, who is a, is a teammate, and one of the ones who was there with me, it was gonna be her Paralympic debut as well, but she went from, For a while, being unsure if she would go to Tokyo to all of a sudden being a starter because the two athletes that tested positive were our starting middle and our other backup middle. So she was thrown into this position and we were there with her and kind of sitting in the Ralph Lauren uh, apartment, getting fitted and like staring at each other, having no idea what we were going to do now. So it was definitely a really rocky start to our
1: Tokyo journey, to say the least. Okay, so. The next kind of chunk of questions I have for you is kind of each game. So can you give us a rundown of first game to right up before your last game of Tokyo? Like, how did things go, you know, given the stress (laughs) that you guys dealt with and and all
2: that stuff yeah so lucky for us our first match of the games was against rwanda and rwanda you know they're definitely still a developing team from the they're from the african zone each zone gets a bid and the world champions get a bid and there's a last chance bid as well as one for the host so the african zone was represented by rwanda and we for me this game was really special because it was my paralympic debut this would be the first time that i ever stepped foot on the on the court for a competition in Tokyo. And I mean, it went really well winning three to zero. It definitely calmed the nerves a little bit. But at the same time, Rwanda is very different from the teams that we were going to see later on. I guess a little bit of extra background going into this. The way that the seating had worked out was really the top three teams in the world all ended up in our pool. And only two would advance to the semifinals. And that was terrifying. We'd been calling it the death pool going into it because it was really scary the way that it had worked out with us, Russia, and China all being in a pool together. We hadn't seen China since 2016 and we hadn't seen Russia. We see Russia pretty often and they were one of our only losses in 2018. Actually, 2018 and 2017, I want to say were, they were the only loss that we had over those two years at world championships. And we see them a lot during the quad, but we go back and forth. So we had to win at least one of those games to make out of our pool. So after our Rwanda game, we went into the China match second and were really nervous because China... Mm-hmm. Had only ever lost one Paralympic match in the history of the sport um, since 2004, and that was to us in 2016 in the gold medal match. So not only are they a really strong team, but they were they were coming for blood. You know, they were they were mad after their last U.S. experience. So we go into that game nervous, but feeling like you know we can do it. We can. We've done it before. We'll do it again. And we did not. We did not do it again. They swept us three to zero. It honestly it didn't even feel close. We all talked about it after. It really. The whole game, it just felt helpless. But I remember Bill, my coach, he put me in during that game to serve for our captain Katie. And it was really cool for me to really feel trusted and feel like, okay, like my coach believes me, even though I'm a rookie, and even though some of these girls have been playing this sport for as long as I'm alive. Like He trusts me enough to put me in this game. And that was really helpful moving forward for the rest of the tournament for me, even though that game was really tough for us as a group and it put us in a must win situation for our next match against Russia. And we had to do a lot between those two matches, talk about the mental side of the game, what we needed to do to get back into that headspace, that winning mindset and kind of turn this thing around. So we go into the Russia match and it was honestly uh, one of our better Russia matches we've ever had, like we, we won 3-0. I felt really quick, like I feel like I blinked and it was over. I honestly don't remember a single um, detail about the Russia game because I think it was just so high pressure that I really blacked out for most of it. But it did set us up to where we were going on to the semifinals as the second seed from our pool and would play against Brazil. And Brazil is one of my favorite games from the tournament because they are a super, super high energy team. They're really fun. So we went to that game, trying not to start getting ahead of ourselves and thinking about the next game too much and really just focusing on beating Brazil and taking it, you know, one point at a time and not getting intimidated by their energy. I honestly, I can't even describe what it's like to play them. And we were able to get out of that one 3-0 2 even though they were catching up with us a little bit in that third set, we were able to get out 3-0, which put us in a situation where we were then be able to shift our focus to a rematch against China in the finals, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, so that's that's the big question I had too. So you lost to China earlier in the Olympics, and it wasn't a close match. Like you said, it was 3-0. And then you're up against them in the final what was the team morale around it? How did you guys feel? How did you feel? How did you handle that stress? And how did you go into it confident? And what did you guys do to kind of turn things around from the last time you played them?
2: Yeah, so going into the Paralympics, we knew that it was it was very likely it was going to come down to another U.S.-China matchup in the final. And I mean, that's like, it's, it's the Paralympic thing at this point. Every match for the gold medal since 2008 has been U.S. versus China. We'd expected it, and we'd begun preparing for it. But with all of that preparation, and with all the thought we'd put towards this match, you know, came a lot of like anticipation and anxiety building up over this game. I and mean, we had to do a lot as a team. We worked. We have an incredible sports psychologist named Adam, and Adam was, I think, exactly what we needed to be. Adam wasn't even going to be able to join us originally, but when one of our staff members tested positive for COVID, he was like our our alternate staff member, and I think he was an absolute game changer for us, which was incredible. So we sat down as a group and we talked about surprisingly we didn't spend much time with our sports psychologist talking about the first China match. We talked a lot more about what was going on at home for each of us and what what distractions what what else was on all of our plates so that we could kind of give each other grace and give each other like compassion and really kind of open up that communication so we could connect on and off the court better. And then we talked a little bit about, a little bit about what we've done as a team to grow over the last 5 years and we talked about how we what our circumstances were going to be trying to match because realistically you know we didn't have any data on them because that we hadn't seen them play even in five years we had no film we were still adjusting to the sleep schedule we are going through this whole covid thing we had teammates who still were nowhere near adjusted to being in japan and we were kind of just thrown into this and we had a bad game and that that was all okay and we we're capable and we were ready and we could do it. But the night before the game, there was definitely a lot of tension in the air. After our film meeting, I actually just went to my room. I didn't spend any time with my team that night because I there was a lot of information and a lot going on and a lot of pressure. And I just kind of needed a minute to, to like <laughs> soak it all in. And I called my boyfriend back at home and talked to him and did some packing because we were supposed to leave the day after. And I knew win or lose after the gold medal match, I was not going to want to pack my bags. I was going to either want to celebrate or be sad. And my teammates, I think all kind of did the same because there was a a lot riding on the next 24 hours.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's kind of funny that you went home and packed because I could honestly see myself doing the same thing, like doing something so normal to kind of get your head out of the anxiety and the pending stress of the next day. But let's go into the gold medal match game. Can you give your thoughts and your feelings and what happened up until that last point?
2: Yeah, so... The bus ride is about 30 minutes to our venue. So a lot of people would kind of expect that bus ride to be super like high energy, you know, getting ready for the game, music, loud people talking, but it was dead silent. You know, everyone was kind of doing their own thing. Nerves were through the roof. My teammate, Jill, that I mentioned earlier, braided my hair so I could be ready for that. But really, I think that's the only person I, I talked to the entire bus ride. And many people would, would say the same. We get to the venue, you know, we, we walk to our locker room and that's when it it seemed almost kind of like a a forced excitement and energy you know we were like nervously like "Uh, can someone play music you know (laughs) trying to trying to get going with that and I I think it worked it eventually you know felt a little more natural and we started getting into it getting more excited we spent about an hour on the warm-up court before heading to the competition court and so we got our our pre-practice touches and honestly it wasn't a to me, it didn't feel like it was a great warm up practice for us. Things kind of felt a little a little messy, and so that was when I started really realizing, like, oh gosh, like how in the world are we going to go in and win this game? Like, what are we going to need to do to make this happen? And then we go into into the gym, into the tunnel. So there's this tunnel before you walk out uh, where we sit on one side and the Chinese team sits on the other side. And the Chinese team and I, I mean, we're, us we're we're pretty big rivals. We match up every every gold medal match. And we also, there's a language barrier here because we don't speak any Mandarin and none of them, as far as we know, speak English. So we kind of just we stare at each other and we exchange gifts before the match. So number 11 has cards, playing cards from the Charlotte airport. And I've got a Chinese pin now, but that was really the extent of our conversation. And that's when we started kind of getting a little more hyped up, getting ready. And then we walked out onto the court and, you know, lights were bright. A few, of, uh, a few of us, we take these gummies. They're called bolts. They're caffeinated gummies. So we had some energy going through us because it was only 10 o'clock in the morning at this point trying to get hyped up because we knew as the bench um, as somebody who doesn't play much and many of my teammates are in the same boat we we really knew that our team was going to need as much energy and as much information as they could get from us so paying close attention and keeping the energy high was going to be really important then the game starts and Things are looking really good. We ended up winning that first set 25 to 12. And by the end of the first set, I was already a little lightheaded from screaming so much. And it really kind of set in that, you know, okay, I don't know what's going on, but we could make this happen, right? And then the second set comes around and it's the same thing. And the second set, I believe was the first time that I had gone in during the gold medal match. I went in to serve for Katie and was a little nervous, but you know, because of my experiences over the last few months with, with our coach and with that position going in to serve, I felt pretty confident. I felt like I could do it and I did. And I came off and my job was done. And I went back to cheering for my team and kind of giving them as much information as I could. But we pulled away with that second set and that's when you know the chatter kind of started on like on the bench and we truly tried to keep it to our like ourselves so it was more of a self-talk thing where we were like okay like we're one set away from winning gold or one set away from after everything we've been through coming here what we set out to do and reaching that goal and that's that's huge for us but we didn't want to you know get ahead of ourselves You didn't want to get too confident and then we go into the third set and it did not go the same way as the first two we lost that set and it was kind of scary because, you know, we had worked so hard over these last few years and we could start to see that dream, you know, slipping away slowly. We really needed to uh, walk away after winning that fourth set. We really, really needed to win that fourth set. And so we go into the fourth set and the conversation between sets. There was a lot of people. They weren't really feeling worried. We didn't really feel worried. There was a lot of reassurance, you know, trying to better. We made a few mistakes. That's fine. Move on. Next thing, we can still win this. Like we are still more than in this game. We, this is our game. We can take it. And then the fourth set starts and it's a lot more back and forth, uh, similar to the third set, not at all. Like the first two back and forth, back and forth. And then about five points away from the game being over, my coach came up to me and told me that if Katie Holloway makes it back to serve, that I would be going in for her. And that kind of brings us really close to the end of that, of that gold medal match.
1: Yeah. So my question for you is so you get put in then, right? And eventually you're up and you're up to serve the match winning point. It could come down to you in this moment. That is a lot of pressure. What was it like? What were you thinking? How were you feeling? If you were even, if you can even remember it at all, because I feel like in moments like that, sometimes you like, you know, can black out.
2: Yeah, no, that's so funny because you've taken every single word right out of my mouth. I was sitting next to my teammate Lexi. Her and I had been together the whole game and we turned to each other. And my when my coach comes up to me and I look at her and I said, Wow, you know, that's gonna be close to game point. Like if I go in, that's we're gonna be cutting it close. And she's like, No, you're fine, you're fine. And then, you know, it's twenty three to eighteen, I wanna say, and Kaleo, our setter, goes back to serve, and I said to Lexi, Okay. If we get this point, I'm not going to go in at all because it'll be game point already. And if we don't get this point, I'm going to go in and have to serve game point. And then Kaleo missed. And I kind of had this, literally, I said, I outlawed her, I said, oh, I was like that's that's not that's not what i where I thought this was gonna go so i I get up uh, we we get the next point back twenty four nineteen and i that is where I totally blacked out. I've worked really hard over the past two weeks to kind of piece it together a little bit, but there was definitely a few minutes of just blank right there, so i this is our first game actually in two years, playing without a mask on, so I, I took my mask off and I run up to the inline to go in for katie and it's funny i actually went back and watched the match and carrie is announcing it commentating it and she's used to play on our team and when she saw me go in she just goes <gasps> and then says nothing else <laughs> for about 30 seconds because she was just in shock and i mean i was in shock a few of my teammates had like this this big-eyed look when they saw me and Uh, you know 20 years old making my Paralympic debut and going in in that situation it definitely wasn't easy mentally but I had a lot of practice doing it and I was in a really similar situation we were in the Netherlands two months before I went to serve game point against Russia 25 25 and served two to win and we won on an ace so it was a really similar situation to that so I was really lucky and really really grateful for the preparation I'd had. But I went back to the line and I I tried uh, desperately to remember who our serving targets were and what seams I was trying to hit. And just kind of just in my head, like just in the court. Please, Emma, just get this ball in the freaking court. You know, like I, I don't know what you're gonna do. Like that, the the amount of healing that would have had to be done if I had missed that serve is a little unreal. But I I went in, and China is an incredible passing team. I never in a million years would have thought that game was gonna end on an ace. But you know, I went in and I served, and I actually had tried to serve somebody else, but when her teammate literally jumped in front of her to try to take that ball because. I think she knew that she was a better passer, but when she put herself in that situation, she couldn't pass it. And it was an ace and the ball hit the floor. And I could not believe it. And I don't think any of my teammates could either because we all just froze and looked at each other and started screaming because, I mean... What had just happened? We, after the few weeks that we had had to end it like that, was unreal. And everyone was crying and hugging, and we were all like on a in a big pile on the floor, just unbelievable happiness. It's the most indescribable feeling. And then my coach, you know, uh, Bill, he had run over and he was crying, and he gave me a hug, and it was it was amazing. It was the happiest moment of my life to date, for sure.
1: So, this is kind of such a happy ending to what was such a rough start to Tokyo, but also just such a happy ending in your story of overcoming this kind of hate for the game at first. Like, you were miserable that one weekend, and now... You know, you just served the match-winning point to win gold at the Paralympics. So what a story. Like, I have chills. I think that's so amazing. And also, I just have the most respect for you for not only hitting the match-winning point, but having to step in the game. And also, you know, you were on the bench there, and you're just like, oh, my God. I might have to serve the match winning point. Like you're sitting there and it's like building up in your head. You're not even on the court where like you could just focus on the game. Like you are out of it. You're you're on the side and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get put in. And it could literally come down to me. Props to you. And clearly you do well under pressure considering you had done this once before. So that's pretty impressive. I was say like, yeah,
2: one of my, our team captain, Katie, after our last game in an interview, it, it's funny, you said it really similarly. She was quoted saying she's never experienced so much joy from such a miserable experience. And I think that really, it, that checks all the boxes. I mean, this was such a struggle for us the entire time we were there, but really ended on on such a high note and in regards to my position it's honestly my teammates and i talk about it a lot because i have with no exaggeration the best teammates in the world they're incredible you know and they would say to me you know like that's that's hard like i, I hate that your your position that that sucks like having to come in under pressure and serve cold and i honestly love it it's it's serving is my favorite part of the game it's a lot of strategy there, especially in sitting volleyball, you're able to block the serve, which adds another level of strategy. And I've always found it really incredible. And I like the pressure. I do think I work best under pressure, even though in that situation, I totally, I did black out and I remember very little for sure.
1: Question two, you know, you're an Olympic paramedalist now. What are your athletic goals moving forward, kind of leading up to the next Paralympics?
2: Yeah. So the next Paralympics, we're in like a unique situation because Paris is only three years away. You know, we're, we're already coming up on that. So for me, I've taken this semester off of school. I'll be heading to Oklahoma to get back into full-time training in about two weeks. And I'm, I'm really excited about that because I, I know I've just been doing it so intensely for the last few months, but I'm, I'm ready to get back to it. And I'm ready to keep being able to play a role with my team on and off the court going into Paris. And honestly, looking past Paris, you know, LA is in 2028 and they just announced that uh, Brisbane, Australia in 2032. And I don't think that any of those are really out of the question for me that, The life of a sitting volleyball player is pretty long. My teammate Laura just played in her fifth Paralympics, pregnant with her fourth child. Yeah. So she, you know, it's not something that I'm counting out. I know that I'm also just getting started and I have a lot of off court goals as well as on court because I've become really passionate about the Paralympic movement over the last few months and or few years and really want to be able to advance that off the court as well. So athletically speaking, I definitely have a lot of growth to do, but I'm really happy with where I am right now too.
1: No, that's amazing. You actually perfectly set us up for the next – Couple questions. So, my next question for you is How has taking this semester off allowed you to progress as an athlete and a person? I mean, obviously, you won a Paralympic gold medal, but beyond that, you know, you're doing all these cool things. You're going to different schools with young girls and talking about sitting volleyball. And, you know, last week you were at a UNC volleyball game and you went to Greensboro College this week. So, can you give some background on that and how that has been an experience for you?
2: Yeah, when I enrolled at UNC, I only entered with uh I entered with 12 credits was which, which is about a semester but not a full semester. So I decided that if I really wanted to pursue my Paralympic dream, if I really wanted to make this happen, that I needed to get ahead. So I took classes every summer leading up to it, including this summer, and put myself in a position where if I did make the roster, I could take the semester off. And if I didn't make the roster, I would take another semester off another time and train full time then. And I knew that if I got to go to Tokyo, I wanted to be able to focus on being in Tokyo and enjoy it and compete at the highest level. And I couldn't do that if I was distracted by what was going on at home. So having the semester off has allowed me The time to do stuff like this to be on podcasts and do Mm -hmm. interviews and go and meet people. I love getting to go watch younger girls play volleyball. I was able to go to Northview Middle the other day uh, and watch one of the girls that I used to coach. And that was really cool because I remember for me, when I was little, going and watching the high school girls play was incredible. And I thought it was the coolest thing. And there was nothing better than that. So to be able to go and like interact with these young girls as they're starting their athletic career is really important to me. And I got to be at North Middle School to day, uh, which is where I played volleyball when I was in eighth grade. And that was really cool because the volleyball team, although I was speaking the whole grade, the volleyball team was really excited. They, They asked me to sign their phone cases afterwards. And I got really nervous because I tried to explain to them I have terrible handwriting. And a really bad signature, but they were too excited to take no for an answer. So that was really amazing. And then, I mean, you mentioned it, going to UNC Volleyball, uh, their game against UNC Charlotte and being recognized was so special to me because I've been a UNC Volleyball fan for so long. And one of my old teammates, Marissa Meyerhofer, is on the team this year. So it was really cool to catch up with her and meet all the girls. And they were so nice and so welcoming. And it was a great time. My family and friends got to be there. It was it was incredible for sure. So I'm I'm happy that I I have the time to allow me to do all of this that I'm not worrying about school now. And it's also really nice to just chill for a minute. It's been close to burnout. So I'm ready to relax for a little and just be with my people at home so that I can get ready to get geared up again and start preparing. We have our world championships in May. So we don't have too long of recovery before we got to kick it back into high gear and then start shifting towards the Paris games and getting ready for that.
1: The second question I had for you, too, is you said you were passionate about Paralympics and spreading the message and things like that. So I would love to hear all of your thoughts about your journey and about kind of bringing awareness to the Paralympics and bringing awareness to sitting volleyball and kind of your journey there.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I I mentioned a little bit how about how I found or sitting volleyball found me. I really can't take any credit for that. And that is really frustrating me because I, you know, I had a role in in this past Paralympics and winning a gold medal in Tokyo. And I didn't even watch my team compete in Rio because I didn't know about sitting volleyball and I wasn't watching the Paralympics, but I was glued to the TV during the Olympics. And a big part of that is because I just, I didn't know better. Why would I have? I didn't know anybody who competed in Paralympic sports. I wasn't involved in Paralympic sports and there's not as much media coverage as maybe some people think that there is when it comes to the Paralympics. So I, and I know that there's a lot of people who are just like me out there with brachial plexus injuries or with other disabilities who could really benefit from Paralympic sports. But not only that, Paralympic sports and adaptive sports could really benefit from them. And what I have learned during during my time as uh, uh, competing in adaptive athletics is. Adaptive sports are not easy. I, so I played competitive standing volleyball for 13 years and nothing came close to challenging me as much as sitting volleyball did. I was sore and muscles I didn't know I had and the precision and the technique um, and the accuracy is so much more intense on the sitting volleyball court because it's such a smaller court, but girls are, or women are hitting with the same level of power. So it really, it breaks you down a lot. And it's absolutely incredible. When I was Playing both standing and sitting volleyball at the same time, I found that the more that I played sitting volleyball, the better my standing volleyball game got because my reaction time was getting better and everything else, my technique was just really being honed in on. And so I think people just had an need to realize that adaptive sports are not less. And whether you're able-bodied or you have a disability, you can play adaptive sports and you can really benefit from them. And by playing adaptive sports, whether you have a disability or you're able-bodied, you're also creating opportunities for people with disabilities like myself. You know, If there were sitting volleyball leagues or people who talked about sitting volleyball in my hometown or in the volleyball world, I could have found out about sitting volleyball years before and been involved with the program, but there's just not a lot of awareness around it. And then being in Tokyo these last few weeks, you know, people <laughs> would often ask us, you know, oh, are you so excited? NBC is 1,200 hours of, of Paralympic coverage or uh, all of that. And, it was yes it's growth and yes it's great that it's growing like that but at the same time you know my family was still waking up at five thirty in the morning four thirty in the morning to watch the games while during the olympics they were being re-aired during prime time and actually only two of our games were aired on tv at all while we were there it was our, our finals match and one of our pool play matches the rest there were one or two streamed online and then one you couldn't watch anywhere which is really hard for family members at home and it's really hard to grow awareness for the sports when they're not being uh, publicized and when you can't find them. So I think there's a lot of work to do in that area, but I think it's very, very valuable work. And I think it's more than worth it and would benefit people with and without disabilities and just make the world of sports a much better place.
1: Yeah, you had so many powerful quotes in there. I think one of my favorites was how you scored the match winning point and sitting volleyball found you and just about how you could have gotten involved so much sooner if you had even known that it existed. I think that's so powerful. I think there's an intersection too of gender here. You know, it's already hard enough, I think, for women to get into sports. But for somebody who, you know, is also living with a disability and, you know, having adaptive sports is probably even harder to find. It definitely is. Is harder to find than a normal sport. Like you said, you know, it found you, you were playing standing volleyball and then sitting volleyball kind of found its way into your heart. I love what you're doing. And I love the message that you're spreading. And I also wanted to ask you about the, I, I read this statistic online, but just wanted to hear your thoughts about it too. But how Paralympic athletes for the first time got the same compensation for medals as Olympic athletes. Did that happen? And how big of a deal is that to you and to the sitting volleyball community.
2: That is more than special to me because my biggest role model and teammate Katie Holloway was actually at the front of pushing for that, and that 's really, really hard to do because in a setting that is so dominated by able bodied athletes and by able bodied board members, she stood up and fought relentlessly for that and As for many different issues of equality within the Olympic and Paralympic movements, and that 's why I, I look up to her more than she could ever know she 's incredible and yeah, it, it did happen this was the, the first games where Throughout the duration of the games, we were paid equally for our medals as the Olympic athletes, which was incredible. And, you know, as it should have been, like we we are in this on the same stage. We're working just as hard to compete for Team USA. And so I'm I'm really happy that she was able to accomplish that with so many amazing athletes and people by her side. But at the same time, it kills me that she had to do that because she is an athlete. She's an active athlete competing for the national team. And it took so much of her time and so much of her energy to fight for equality while she should have been able to focus on her training. So I think that kind of, there's a lot of duality to that because she, you know, on the one hand, I'm so happy she's able to accomplish it, but it sucks that she had to fight for that. And the fight's not over, you know, there's still a lot of inequality qualities within the movements, and there's a lot of growth to be done, but I feel really good about the direction that everything is heading, and I think that we'll be there someday soon.
1: Yeah, no, that's great, and that's even more exciting, too, that you have a personal connection, you know, through your teammate who works so hard, and Shout out to her. We'll be sure to get the podcast to her, but.
2: Yeah, she killed it.
1: (laughs) Another thing I wanted to ask you before we close it out, if there was one thing you want people to know about sitting volleyball or Paralympic or the Paralympics in general, what would it be? Or even more, something that maybe they wouldn't know otherwise.
2: I would tell them to dive right in and go for it, able-bodied or not, you know, uh, able-bodied or whether you have a disability, whatever your level of ability is, watch the Paralympics, support these athletes, try the sports. My parents, so because family and friends were unable to come to Tokyo, my parents were able to go to Colorado. Toyota sent them out there and spend the weekend at the Olympic and Paralympic training center and go through the museum. And they got to try all of these sports with everyone else's friends and family. It was awesome. And they, you know, they left and they were like, oh my, oh my oh my gosh, like that was so hard. And that was so much fun. And it is no matter what your skill level is, it will challenge you. It's a great workout and it is so much fun. So do it. Watch these sports, have a watch party. I know like if you're anything like me, you're, you were glued to the TV during the Olympics and you watched so much of it, but give that same energy to the Paralympics. These elite athletes are dedicating their lives to these sports and these sports are, they may be niche, but they are so fun to watch. And these athletes are accomplishing incredible things. So definitely check it out and support it. Get involved.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I think it it was cool what you said earlier too about, you know, you used to play standing volleyball and you're like, sitting volleyball is harder. Like I I didn't know I had all these muscles, but I know now because they hurt so bad. That was that was a great quote. But another thing that I find super interesting, you know, in both the Olympics and the Paralympics, women won a majority of the medals, specifically for team USA. So in the Paralympics, women won more than 60% of medals. How do you feel about this stat and what it means for women's sports and in the future?
2: Yeah, I mean, if anything, it it tells us we already know women are powerful. Women, when given the opportunity to compete on the same level and have a seat at the table, they're going to get the job done. My teammate Katie, you know, she was able to fight for equality while being an athlete as a woman with a disability in the world of sports. That's really hard. And then you see these women who are competing at the Olympics and the Paralympics, and they are working hard and they're doing it, you know, they're, they're getting it done. And what you also don't see is in the Team USA building and in the village, they're also amazing people, you know, there's a great sense of community and women supporting women there and they're doing great things. I love to see it. I think it for me, it confirms what I already knew about the women of Team USA. I'm really excited about it for sure. And hopefully we'll we'll keep showing out the same way.
1: That was, I think, the perfect note to end it on. Basically, women are awesome. We already knew that. But so, Emma, thank you so, so much for your time coming on here today. I loved hearing about your journey. I also just... Your story is so great. Like, you... It was just such a happy ending to what was such a rough beginning of your sitting volleyball career and of your Olympics career this summer. So many things that you had to overcome just to get to Tokyo. And wow, thank you so much. It's been an honor. And thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of Benched. This has been your host, Jules Makia, with our wonderful guest, Emma Sheik. Thank you, Emma.
0: Yeah, thank you. It was fun. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Benched. If you like this episode, share it with a friend, teammate, fellow athlete, or coach. New episodes of Benched come out the first Monday of every month, so follow or subscribe to us on whatever platform you use to stream so you can stay up to date with women changing the sports world. You can also follow uncut underscore ch on Instagram to access videos and memorable moments from each week's episode, or visit uncutchapelhill.com if you are interested in sharing your story. Thanks again for listening. Let's keep changing the narrative and make sure women's sports don't ride the bench.